Last week we spoke about being like Jesus, uh, being like children in our approach to Jesus. But sometimes we can approach Jesus and want him to be what we want him to be, or we want him to be what we think he should be. And we spent some time last week looking at what Jesus teaches us through the approach of children. But when children come to Jesus, uh, they come to him just wanting him for who he is. And we've got to be more like Jesus encourages us to be like children in our approach to him. But I want to speak today on this thought of being Jesus centric. Do you know there's actually a doctrinal term or a theological term for that? Now, theologians are often the guys with big bushy eyebrows and woolly jumpers, aren't they? But there's a doctrinal or a theological statement for being Jesus-centric, and it's called Christocentric or Christocentric. And it basically means that Christ should be at the centre of all things. So when I say this morning, we're going to talk about Jesus-centric, what I'm saying is we're going to talk about how Jesus deserves to be and needs to be not off to the left or off to the right or peripheral, but rather central to everything we are and everything we do. Now, centric is an interesting word, and it just basically means to be central. When something's centric, it speaks of what is in the in the middle or what is in the key position of a person's life or situation. And we've got many, many um, examples that are not uncommon to us when we use this word, word centric. You've heard the expression when somebody is egocentric. What does that mean? It means that they think of themselves first, um, that they're self-centered. When somebody's egocentric, it means that their ego or their well-being or them as a thing is in the center of all things. That somebody who's egocentric believes that the world evolves around them. But there's another example in business called customer-centric. If you've ever been in business or you are in business, Sometimes they'll speak about a company being customer centric. And again, what that means is they want to put the customer first. It's what the customer needs. It's what the customer thinks that's the key thing to what they're doing in business. So we can look at a personal example of a person being egocentric, where they're self-centered. They believe that everything evolves around them. The sun and the moon evolve around them. Sometimes in business, people can be customer-centric. In fact, any good business will be customer-centric. But also in this age in which we're living, another example is there's often a call for us to be PC-centric or politically correct-centric. And what people mean by that, that is that at the center of everything we do, we should be politically correct. Now, if you've been around me for any amount of time, you know that I'm certainly not PC-centric, but I am Jesus-centric. And I believe that we shouldn't be at the centre of our lives. He should be at the centre of our lives. Um, we, We should make sure that the central place belongs to him alone. Now, for us as followers of Jesus, he is to be the centre of all things. Now, you can take years trying to work that out, but you must reach that conclusion. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've believed in Jesus, if you're a believer, then Jesus should never be off to the left in your life or off to the right or an added extra or something you do on Sundays. Rather, Jesus should be central to who you are, what you do, what you choose not to do. This needs to be more than a song, doesn't it? Sometimes in our worship, 
we can sing of Jesus being central. I'm reminded of a song that we've sung more recently where it says, Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. Great song. Lovely that we're singing that song. But we have to ask ourselves a question. Is that more than a song in our life? Is Jesus the center of it all? Is he the center of our relationships? Is he the center of our finances? Is he the center of our view on things happening in life and in the world? Because if he's not, he should be. All I've discovered over the years is when Jesus is central to all things, when I'm living Jesus-centric with Jesus at the center of all things, all things work as they should. Now, the Bible reveals that Jesus is centric or central to everything else in life. I love a verse that we read in Romans 11, verse 36, where it just makes this statement. I love this statement because it speaks of the supremacy. It speaks of the central position that Christ has, not will have, but has in life and in everything we know. It says in Romans 11, verse 36, from him come all things, through him are all things, and all things come to him. If you read it, it's just a catchy statement. From him, through him, and to him are all things. When I read that verse, it reminds me that he's not over here to the left or to the right. But even in the universe, even in creation, even in everything we know, all things come from him. Why? Because he's central. All things come through him because he's central. And all things come to him because he's central. Now let's consider this a little bit more this morning in our time together and dare to um, subcategorize this a little bit because it's a huge statement, isn't it? Jesus-centric. Let Jesus be at the center of all things. That's a massive statement. But in reality, we need to divide our lives up into sections, subcategorize, so that we can begin to ask ourselves, honestly, not out of guilt or condemnation, because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but so that we can have a snapshot of our lives, so that we can make sure that we're not just singing that in a song. Jesus at the center of it all. Great song, but is he? That's my question, not just to you, but to me today. Is he? Let's look at a couple of categories in our time together this morning. Jesus must and should be the center of our salvation. He should be central to our gospel message. When we're sharing the gospel, the good news to other people, Jesus should be central. It should be Jesus-centric, not work-centric based upon what people do or how people perform, but Christ-centric, Christo-Christo-centric, Jesus-centric. Our gospel message that we believe and we share to others must have Jesus at the very center of it. Why? Because salvation, you see, comes through Christ alone. Salvation can't be achieved or attained through any other route. It comes through Jesus alone. He's the central part. Without Jesus, our salvation doesn't work. There is no way to come to the Father but through him. 
I know we live in a time where um, there's a deceptive sound going throughout the earth. It's always been around, but it's surfacing again, a sound that says all roads lead to God. I want to be blunt with you today. That's a load of rubbish. That is, that is a load of rubbish. All roads do not lead to God. One road leads to God and that road or that person is Jesus Christ. We can't afford to have anyone in our gospel message or what we believe about salvation. It's got to be Christ-centric, Jesus-centric, Jesus at the centre of it because he is the only way to the Father. You say, well, Brother Andy, that's a little bit narrow-minded, isn't it? Absolutely. And it needs to be because the Bible says that broad is the road that leads to death and destruction and narrow is the path that leads to life. There's one way to salvation. There's one way to remove the separation between God and man. And that's through Jesus Christ, his only beloved son. There is no other name. Let me read to you from the book of Acts where it says it even blunter than what I'm saying today. The book of Acts chapter 4 verse 12 simply says salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to man in which a person can be saved. I love the bluntness of that statement. Salvation is found, rightness with God, having your sins forgiven, being made right before God, being, uh, having an assurance of everlasting life can be found in no one else. For there is no other name, not Allah, not Buddha, no other name, no other name. I warned you at the beginning, I'm not a politically correct person. No other name, one name leads a person to experience salvation. And that name is Jesus. Come on, in our gospel, we've got to be Jesus-centric. I love how Galatians speaks about the work of Jesus and the cross and how it's our only boast. <clears throat> We're living in a time where so many uh, people, even Christians, are boasting in so many things. I like what Paul said. He said his only boast was in Jesus Christ and the cross. Let me read these verses to you. Galatians 6 verse 14. Paul says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me <clears throat> and I to the world. So Paul was saying, listen, you can go ahead and boast in whatever you want. I'm making my boast about one thing, the Lord Jesus Christ and the cross. Now, when we speak about the cross, we're not speaking about the wooden object that was merely an executioner's tool for killing Jesus and providing the death he needed to bring us to newness of life. When we speak about boasting in the cross, we're not speaking of the object. We're speaking of what Jesus achieved on the cross for you and me. You know, so often people get romantic about the object, a cross around their neck, a cross at the front of a church. Now, we need to remember that whenever we see a cross we look beyond the object and remember what Jesus achieved 
on the cross for us. You see, when Jesus went to the cross, he was the only one that could go to the cross because he was the son of God. When Jesus went to the cross, he shed his blood for our sin. He caused a divine exchange that made the guilty innocent. It was all about what Jesus did on the cross. No one helped him. He didn't do something with the help of others. It was Christ alone. It was Jesus alone that achieved for you and me a fullness of salvation that we experienced the moment we believed 2,000 years after he did it. Have you ever wondered why there's always talk of the spirit of antichrist? You never really hear about anti-God. In fact, you hear the opposite in today's society in that universalism deception that all roads lead to God. You actually hear anti-Christ, never anti-God. Why? Because Christ, Christ Jesus, is the key component that causes a person to be saved. Now, if you remove the key component from something, it doesn't work. If you remove a key component from an engine or from a recipe or any other thing in life, you'll find that that thing does not work or it does not work like it should. My friends, the gospel is the same. It orbits and evolves and finds its strength and its power in what Jesus Christ did for a lost humanity on the cross 2,000 years ago. Listen, we've got to stamp our feet a little bit louder and say to this spirit of Antichrist, no, you're not removing Jesus because the moment you remove Jesus, you remove everything. Listen, there's never a problem. You never hear the spirit. When you read the Bible, you don't read about anti-God, the spirit of anti-God. It's always the spirit of of anti-Christ, anti-Jesus, where we come as believers in a different spirit. We actually come preaching and being and living Jesus-centric lives. Now, that may offend some people. I hope if it does, it offends them to salvation. But I'm not going to deny, I'm not going to water down, I'm not going to try and fit into some politically correct box that takes away the central role of Jesus Christ in the gospel message because it's the power power of that message with Jesus at the center of it that takes a person from death to life, from separation to being a part of a family of God. I could preach on that subject a lot longer, but I want to move on to the next thought. But when we're living a life that's Jesus centric, we also determine that Jesus is going to be the center of our worship. Now, worship is an expression of our salvation to the one who saved us. Worships many things, but to me, it's an expression of my thanksgiving and my gratitude to the person who saved me. Now, when you worship, you recognize you've been saved and you give honor to the one who saved you. It's like if you were drowning in a lake and somebody came past in a boat and pulled you out of the lake. You would sit in the boat and you would say, I'm so thankful, I'm so thankful. Thank you for saving me. I would have died if it wasn't for you. In the same way, we turn our eyes in worship just to one. 
We don't worship angels. We don't worship people. We don't worship worship leaders. We don't worship bands. We worship one person, Jesus Christ. Jesus needs to be the center of our worship. Not off to the left, not off to the right. Not we like a few songs. We love the way this one goes. We love the harmony of this. All of those things are peripheral and secondary to Jesus Christ being the center, not just of our salvation, but of our worship. Remember, worship doesn't just happen in a building. We've learned that over the last six months. Worship is a part of the lifestyle of a believer. In fact, my best worship happens when I'm alone with God. I love worshiping when we're together and I'm looking forward to when we gather again together for corporate or group worship. But I hope you're still worshiping, even though the doors of the church are shut, the gates of the school are bolted, your worship should still be soaring. Why? Because your worship is your personal thanksgiving and thank you and appreciation to the one who saved you. Do you know, I've taken up a couple of hobbies and one of the hobbies I took up over this time of lockdown is I started paddle boarding. I love paddle boarding. Why? Because I can get myself out in the middle of an ocean, out in the middle of a harbour and I can sing my face off to Jesus. And uh, normally when I'm out worshipping God, walking the dog, I always get caught out. I'm just busy worshipping him. Jesus, thank you for saving me. Jesus, you're my saviour. I get so lost in worship that all of a sudden I missed a dog walker coming towards me or the person sitting on the bench. But I'm pretty safe when I'm out uh, paddle boarding. I just get myself out away from the shore in the middle of nowhere and I kneel on my paddle board or I stand on my paddle board and everyone else thinks I'm stretching or doing yoga. But I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Jesus, you are incredible. Jesus, you are amazing. Thank you, Lord. You see, our worship isn't when we bring a shopping list. It's when we bring our adoration. So often when people worship, it's, Will you do this for me, Lord? What will you do for me next? That's just dribble. Your thanksgiving needs to be filled. Your worship needs to be filled with adoration and thanks for all he's already done. Hey, take a look behind you and see how good he's already been to you. And let the song of your worship be all about him, his victories and those beautiful things. So worship is an expression of our salvation. It should always be about him. And never about us. When worship becomes about us, we've kind of missed the point. I believe that we're experiencing right now a fresh revolution where God's touching worship in a fresh way. Remember, worship isn't about us, it's about him. I've had people say to me after services, I didn't like the third song. I said, well, let's think about this. It wasn't for you, was it? It was for him. Worship isn't about us, it's for him. It's what we bring to him. We need to make sure that our worship Worship isn't filled with just statements that make our soul feel comfortable. But our worship is filled with, it's you, Jesus. It's you, Jesus. It's you, Jesus. I really believe that throughout Family Church, God is refreshing our worship. Not just when we meet together, but our individual worship. Get ready for Jesus. Get ready for the Holy Spirit to be refreshing your worship. Do you know what's been happening with me as he's been refreshing my worship when I've been out on my paddleboard? 
Lord, outworking the dog and uh, walking the dog, and I begin to worship. I find that it gets a whole lot simpler. Come on, let's face it, let's own up. A lot of the modern songs we use in worship today have just got so many words, you actually forget you're worshiping because you want to concentrate on the words. I believe that we need to get central, simple with our worship and make it raw and all about Jesus again. I listen to some worship songs today, beautifully written, lovely harmonies, perfect layout structure, but actually at the center of it, it's this is how I feel. This is what I want. Jesus, this is what you need to do for me. Come on, let's start a worship revolution and get our eyes back on Jesus. Let's get Jesus centric again and say, Jesus, my worship may be out of tune, but it's all for you. My worship may be old fashioned, but it's all for you. Come on. I find myself breaking out in golden oldies these days. One, because I don't know uh, why I can't remember all the verses to a lot of the songs today, but I can remember moments where I just connect with God. You see, worship is a moment when you connect with God and God's not turning around like Simon Cowell in heaven going, well, you were a little bit out of tune, weren't you? See, that's not how worship works in heaven. In heaven, your worship can be out of tune in the opinion of man on earth. But if it comes from a heart that just says, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Your worship is perfect in heaven. So I want to encourage you. Yeah, when we meet together, we're going to see our worship, I believe, come to another level. But don't wait. Begin to let worship break out in your heart. Let worship begin to break out if you're on your way to work, in the car. But let's move from singing songs about God to singing songs to God. Adoration, worship. I love some of the classics. You know, sometimes I'll even break into just some of those golden oldies, like we did in conference this year. There was a moment where all of a sudden uh, it was off the back of Pastor Colin Urquhart teaching when he made his confession that he liked some of the older songs because they were simpler but had Christ at the centre. You know, when he said that, a whole bunch of people went, yeah, we're kind of feeling that too. But all of a sudden we just started to sing, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. You could feel the presence of God filling that room. Why? We were lifting our lujahs to God. We were saying, Jesus, we focus on you. Then in the simplest of ways, we just carried on. Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. Come on, let's do this. Wherever you're watching right now, lift your hands. Come on, let's get crazy this morning. Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. Come on, just let worship come from your heart. Lord, I love you. You say, well, this is a little bit awkward. No, it's not. It's people expressing their thanksgiving. Lord, I love. Lord, I praise you today. I worship you today. God, you're the king of kings today. Lord, you be lifted up. Come on, let's put Jesus at the center of our worship. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I like a lot of the modern tunes. I like a lot of what modern songwriters are producing and giving us um, to worship along with. But let's never, let's never concentrate on things that are secondary. Let's be Jesus-centric in our worship. The simplest of songs sung out of tune that are dedicated from an earnest heart to the one who's seated on the throne are the songs that change the atmosphere. So I want to encourage you today to be a worshipper, not when you gather with others. Wherever you have a moment, begin to let worship come from your heart. 
like I said before, not shopping lists. Lord, will you do this for me? Lord, this is what I need next. God, this is how I'm feeling. But just songs that says, Jesus, if you never did another thing for me, you've done more than enough for me to worship you all the days of my life. I really believe there's a move of the Holy Spirit upon the worship um, of our church and, and of our people at this time. Just jump in and begin to worship him like you've never have before. Now, our worship together is brilliant, but whether we're together or on our own, our worship should be Jesus-centric, to him, for him, about him. The final thing I want to look at today is we need to be Jesus-centric in the context of him genuinely being the centre of our lives. He needs to be the centre of our gospel message. He needs to be um, central to our salvation experience. He needs to be central to our worship. But in fact, he needs to be central to everything that we are. He's to be enthroned in our hearts. I was drawn to that word the last couple of days, enthroned. It's one of those words that if you keep saying it, it starts to not make sense in your mind anymore. Do you ever do that? Enthroned, 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 enthroned. You see, Jesus is to be enthroned in our hearts and in our lives. Now, it says in Psalms 22, verse 3, that he's in, in, enthroned on our praises. Now, that's beautiful, isn't it? But Jesus is enthroned on our praises. Again, what's that encouraging us? Our praise is about Jesus. Our worship is about Jesus. But he's not just to be enthroned in our praise. He's to be enthroned in our hearts. Now, our hearts represent the center of who we are. If we think of that uh, physiologically, if we think of that naturally, your heart, your blood pump really is the central part of you. It doesn't matter how big your muscles are, how strong you are. If your heart says, I'm stopping now, nothing else matters. You see, your heart naturally is central to the fitness and the well-being of your physical body. But when the Bible speaks of our heart and Jesus being centre or enthroned on our heart, he's not speaking about our blood pump. He's speaking about that central throne in our life where number one sits. I want to put to you today, as I want to put to myself, that none other deserves the throne of your life than Jesus. It doesn't matter who sat on it before. It doesn't matter who wants to sit on it now. Jesus Christ deserves the throne of your life. Jesus should always be enthroned in our lives, simply based on what he's done for us. Now, when we say he's to be enthroned, in saying that, we're declaring he should never be peripheral to other things. Or he shouldn't be, as we've said a few times now, off to the left or off to the right. Jesus deserves the central place of our lives, where everything comes from, everything comes through, and everything returns back to him. To enthrone, this is the definition that I read in the dictionary. To enthrone is to seat in a place associated with a position of authority and influence. 
So when somebody is enthroned, they're given the seat to a place or a position of authority and influence. Now that carries over in us saying that we need to be Jesus-centric, that Jesus should take the throne of our life, not the footstool next to it, not the bar stool in the kitchen, the throne of our life. Like I said before, my experience has been when Jesus is on the throne of my life, when Jesus is on the throne, when Jesus is enthroned on the life in my heart, everything else in my life, the kingdom of my life begins to work correctly. So let's talk for a couple of moments about the throne of your heart. The throne in a kingdom terminology is the center of the kingdom. Whenever you watch these, these movies um, uh, about years gone by where there were kingdoms and Camelot and all those type of movies, there's always the kingdom. But at the center of the kingdom, there's always the king. And the king is always seated on the throne. The enemy always tries to dethrone him because he knows when he's on the throne, he rules the kingdom. We need to understand that in many ways our lives are a kingdom. And at the centre of our lives, the kingdom of our life is a throne room. And at the centre of that throne room, everything else in our life orbits around it. At the centre of that throne room is a throne. And that throne should belong to one person. And that's Jesus Christ. Jesus should be centric or central to the throne room or the heart of who we are. That leaves us with a very real question, doesn't it, today? Who is on the throne of our heart? I'm not accusing anyone, I'm just asking a very honest question today. Every one of us have a throne in our heart, that the thing that's central to us sits upon. Who's sitting on the throne of your heart today? Is it us? Is it, are we us-centric? That whatever we do, whatever we put up with, whatever we give, orbits around us being on the throne of our life. And that doesn't make you egocentric. It just means you've never given your seat up to someone who deserves it more, Jesus. Sometimes we can be stuff-centric, can't we? I just need this, I just need that. And everything that drives us, everything that motivates us is about getting something we haven't got or getting something that our neighbour just got or getting a car like the guy across the street. But when you wake up in the morning, the sound coming from the throne of your heart is I need stuff. Listen, Jesus should be on that throne. Our first thought in the morning should be about the one who's seated on the throne. Our last thought at night, the one who's ruling from the throne room of our life. Sometimes I've seen people allow relationships take the throne. Now, don't get me wrong. There's other key positions in our life that other people deserve, that other people should belong to. But no one should take the throne of your life apart from Jesus. Again, you say that's very narrow minded, Andy. Listen, my friend, it's the only way to live. 
If you give God 20%, all he has to work with is 20%. Give him 100 and he'll turn your life around. A lot of the time when I'm talking to Christians that are blaming God for what he hasn't done, it's amazing when you speak to them a little bit further, you realize that actually they only gave him 20% or 30% of their life to work with and they're wondering why they're not experiencing 100%. The problem's not him. My friends, let's be Jesus-centric. Let's not allow any other thing, any other person to sit or be enthroned on that central part of who we are. Christ alone, Jesus alone. Now the Bible says in Colossians 3 verse 1, that Jesus, we are in Christ and he is enthroned in heaven. That's wonderful, isn't it? Death couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't claim him. On the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. He then ascended to heaven and the Bible says was enthroned on the right hand side of the father. From that place, he rules and reigns until everything is under his feet. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken to reveal that which can't be shaken, which is his rule and reign, his kingdom. So it's great that the Bible reveals to us that Jesus is enthroned in heaven at the right hand side of the father but my challenge today is more of a personal one he may be enthroned in heaven ruling over all things but is he enthroned in you is it time for you to look at what's sitting on the throne of your heart and if stuff is on your throne move it to the left if other relationships are on the throne of your heart move them to the right If you are sitting on the throne of your life, it's time to get up and give that seat to the one who deserves it. Why does he deserve it? Because he's your saviour. He's the one that took you from death to life, from separation to being a part of a family of God. He's our deliverer. He's our saviour. He's our healer. He's our coming king. Everything we are, we owe to him. We need to allow his lordship not just to be on the thrones outside of us, but firstly, on the throne that's within us. So I want to encourage you today. Come on. In a world where they're trying to remove Jesus, in a world where they're trying to remove Jesus from school, where they're trying to remove Jesus from church, where they're promoting an anti-Christ or an anti-Jesus spirit, let's begin to make some news. Let's begin to make some noise. Listen, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and I am Jesus-centric. He's the centre of my salvation. He's the centre of my worship and he's the centre of my life, seated, enthroned within. As followers of Jesus, we can't afford to have a take it or leave it mentality, a take him or leave him mentality. Rather, we need to ever be saying, Lord, if there's another area of my life where you're not Lord, then be Lord. We shared a couple of weeks ago that repentance isn't about turning away from our wicked sins alone, turning away from our wicked ways alone, but also turning to him, now saying your ways and your will in my life. 
in the same way as we walk with the Lord. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit would ever so gently put his hand on an area in our lives and say, can I now be Lord of that? Will you enthrone me over that area of your life? I want to encourage you. I've got this right and I've got it wrong. But the good thing with God is you get there in the end. Do it quick. Let him be Lord of all, not Lord of bits. And as you do, he rules and reigns from deep within you, that central place, that throne room within you. And he brings life, order, um, joy, peace to every other subsection of who you are. Let me just finish with this verse today. Acts 17, verse 28. For in him we live, we move, and we have our being. Let that not just be a statement, but the reality of our heart. Let us not just sing songs, Jesus at the center of it all. But let's say, yes, Jesus, you are, and I always want you to be at the center of everything I am and everything I do. Maybe you're watching today and you say, brother, you're out of control. Correct. I am a Jesus freak. I am Jesus centric. I believe that Jesus provides every answer for every question that's being asked. But Jesus shouldn't be um, something that's a part of our Sundays. But rather, he should fill every moment, every thought. Come on, join me as I become and you become ever more Jesus-centric. Jesus at the centre of it all. Maybe you're watching today. And you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you're, you're watching this broadcast and you're saying, yeah, it's time. I've lived for other things. That's okay. We all have. I've put other people in, in front of Jesus. That's all right. I've done that too. Listen, today is the day to become Jesus-centric. Place Jesus at the center of your life. How do you do that? Well, like it says in the book of Acts, under no other name can a person be saved but by the name of Jesus Christ. We're going to pray a short prayer in a couple of moments. And we're basically going to pray and say, Jesus, we believe you are the son of God, that you died on the cross for us 2,000 years ago, that you died and you gave a perfect price to own everything that we are. Jesus, come into my life now. Be enthroned in my life. I don't want you to sit to the left or to the right. No, Jesus, take the throne of my life. And begin to turn this life around. The moment you pray a prayer like that, you haven't got to ask twice. Jesus will move. The Holy Spirit will come and fill you up. I want to lead you in a prayer today. And maybe you're watching this and you've never prayed this prayer. You don't have to pay penance. You don't have to prove yourself. One prayer. The Bible says one prayer. What must a person do to be saved? Believe on him. Believe on him. Confess that he's your saviour. It's a done deal. But maybe you're watching today, and I believe there are some people watching today, and you would be what some would call backslidden. That means you once walked with him, but something stopped you. Maybe you got offended or distracted. Listen, Jesus is calling you back today. Jesus wants to come and sit on the throne of your heart again and make all the things that don't make sense make sense again. But he won't violate your free choice or your free will. Will you choose him today? I'm going to lead you in a prayer and if you've never prayed this prayer or you've been away from God or even as you're searching your heart today, you say, I need to make a fresh commitment to God. Just when I say amen at the end, say amen. 
and everything we pray in this prayer becomes yours also. Father, thank you for sending Jesus, your only beloved son, to die for me on the cross as full payment for my sin. Thank you that when I place my faith in Christ, I'm born again. Old is gone, new comes. Thank you that my sins are forgiven as far as the east is from the west. So far you remove my transgressions from me. Thank you that I become a new creation, innocent in your sight, just because of your grace and your mercy. Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Saviour. Right here, right now, come and sit upon the throne of my heart. Begin to rule and reign over everything my life represents. Lord, I thank you today for saving me. Amen. That's it. Just say that word. Amen. Maybe you're watching this on catch up. It doesn't matter if you're here live or you're watching. Like, just say amen. The moment you say amen, you own that prayer and something fresh is activated. Listen, if you prayed that prayer today, would you contact me? Would you send me an email? Would you contact me at andy at family.church? I've got this book written by my dear friend, Pastor Colin Urquhart. We just want to send this to you free. And it's just simply how to know Jesus, the next steps that you can take, understanding what you just prayed and what just happened. Love to send you a copy of this if you'll just contact me. Remember, just contact me, send me an email, andy at family.church. Listen, I hope you've enjoyed today and uh, our time of praise, our time of worship and uh, gathering around the word together. Our conclusion is simply this. Jesus at the centre of it all. Let's be Jesus centric. God bless you.